Coming up on Please Bear With Me, Tim Watkins and I recap Baylor versus ACU. J.J. Perez comes on to preview Baylor versus UTSA. Michael Bartleme and I finish our Cam versus RG3 debate, and you've got the minor minute. Please Bear With Me starts right now. Welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name is Scotty Swingler, and I'm happy to be talking to you once again from Waco, Texas, after Baylor won a football game. How exciting. So happy to see the Baylor Bears take care of business against Abilene Christian on Saturday. It was nice. It felt good to be in McLean Stadium and see a win thrilled for the Baylor Bears. Congrats to everyone involved, and if you were there, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. In just a second, we're going to dive into Tim Watkins and I both kind of breaking down our takeaways and thoughts on Saturday's game, but let me just give you three my three biggest takeaways from this last Saturday. So here's three big things that I took away from the game against ACU on Saturday. Number one, our offensive line looks good. Last year, the biggest frustration on this football team was easily the offensive line as they failed to open up holes for the running game, were not great in pass pro. You heard me week after week saying the Achilles heel of this team is the offensive line. And Saturday, that offensive line came ready to play despite not having Jake Frew Morgan and losing Josh Malin on the second play of the game. The offensive line opened big holes for our running backs, Jermichael Hasty, John Lovett, both having 100-plus yard games and multiple touchdowns. That's credit to the offensive line. Both quarterbacks looked comfortable back there. There was very little pressure brought on our quarterbacks. And so my first biggest takeaway is that our offensive line looks great. And granted, against ACU, that's a lot easier than against teams we've got coming up. So we can hope that we see steady progression from the offensive line, from ACU to UTSA to Duke and then into Big 12 play. If they can continue to grow and fight and scrap and play the way they did Saturday – we will be in much better shape offensively than we were last season. Number two is concerning two transfers, both named Jalen, and that is this. Jalen Hurd is real, and he's exactly what was advertised, and Jalen McClendon is real and might be the best quarterback on this roster. And listen, I'm a Charlie Brewer guy, ride or die, okay? I still believe Charlie Brewer will be a star. He has Heisman potential. I think he's that good. Jalen McClendon played a better game Saturday night. And, you know, you can say what you want, but you look at the numbers, you look at the tape, and Jalen McClendon can throw the football. That guy is accurate. He's got great touch on all his passes. And going back to Jalen Hurd, We've heard for a year or so now that this guy's NFL caliber talent at wide receiver, the running back from Tennessee uh, who transferred in just a couple years ago, and he came out with three catches for 58 yards, which is not just this 
incredible stat line, but you saw the catches he could make. You saw the ability so clearly displayed. He barely missed on a ball that Charlie Brewer badly overthrew. He almost went up and grabbed it. The guy is real, and I expect him to have some really serious breakout games in the next couple weeks against Duke, maybe against Kansas, maybe this week against UTSA. So both Jalens, they are real, they are awesome, and I hope to see more of both of them. My third takeaway is this, is that our defense needs to fix the exact same issues they struggled with last season. The exact same issues. Baylor was gashed on big runs, big plays where tackles were missed, poor angles were taken from the safety position in particular. It's the exact same thing that lost us a game against Duke last season and a game against Kansas State last season. And so this defense struggled, and most of those struggles were the same issues we saw lots of times last season. And so I want to see improvement as we go into UTSA. I need to see that defense play better. Otherwise, this looks like a Baylor team that could be very, very similar to the Nick Florence-led Baylor squad in 2012. And I'm not saying this team is as good as that squad because I don't think they are. However, you could see a team that can put up 50 points on offense fairly regularly with the firepower that we have at skill positions and yet lose a lot of games because the defense cannot hold the other offense under 50, especially in Big 12 play. The thing to watch in these next two games against UTSA and Duke is how much will the defense improve. So those were my three biggest takeaways from Saturday night. Why don't you tweet me yours? You can find us at bear underscore podcast. Send me your biggest takeaways from this last Saturday's game against ACU. And now we move into this segment where Tim Watkins and I talked back and forth about Saturday's game against ACU. So you'll hear both of our analysis, breakdowns, and opinions for the next several minutes. And then after that, we will get into a preview of UTSA with JJ Perez of Inside Runner Sports. So don't go anywhere here's tim watkins of bears illustrated and myself as we break down baylor versus acu well why don't you go first and then i'll go and give me your uh, i mean i don't know just your general takeaways general observations general thoughts on what we saw last night well, my general thoughts on the game was Baylor won. Yes. Baylor won for the first time in 686 days at home. 686 days since the Bears last won a game at home. That That's absolutely insane to me. We lost six in a row in the end of the Jim Grove era during the regular season, and then obviously all of our home games uh, last year and quite a few road games as well. And, and, and six hundred in 86 games or 686 days it's it's remarkable remarkable it was that long between home victories for just Baylor to breathe a sigh of relief have happiness when the the final gun goes off when the fireworks go off when we're singing that good old Baylor line 686 days since the last time that happened in a positive way. Not a moral victory, applause against OU or West mm. Virginia. Mm. Not a not a half full stadium like it was against Liberty mm. or or whatever other teams that we've lost to over the last year and a half. Unfortunately, it's been a few, and it's hard to keep track of. But 686 days since we won a football game at home, and it was a a deep 
deep sigh of relief, I think. And then, you know, to win it convincingly, 55 to 27 over a overmatched opponent. You know, there were problems, especially defensively with big plays. There were problems um, with the run game at the beginning. Uh, you know, really offensively, I, I couldn't have asked for any more, even with the fun of rotating quarterbacks. Absolutely. So it was it was a win. It was a fun win. It seems like the injuries are minimal. Um, really, Charlie Brewer out with a back injury. Josh Malin um, went out on the second offensive play of the game. Um, but rumor is that he's going to be okay. Uh, they aren't thinking that it was a torn ACL or a major knee injury. Uh, he was telling uh, uh, his teammates on the sidelines that, don't worry, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay, it's fine, it's fine. Even then, without him, offensive line did pretty good. So I, I was happy with how they played. You know, there was only three tackles for loss in the entire game, um, two quarterback pressures, no sacks. And really, I don't even remember seeing two quarterback pressures. Um, McClendon and Brewer had time to go deep down the field. They had time uh, to operate in the pocket, go to their second, third, fourth reads in cases. A lot of times running backs for dump-offs when things weren't open down the field. Offensive line did their job against an overmatched opponent. Offensively, I really don't have any complaints. Defensively, it was messy. There were a lot of missed assignments in the defensive backfield, one which directly led to a touchdown as Graylin Arnold got significantly burnt on a double move. Um, he also uh, had a bad uh, uh, missed tackle on the 75-yard touchdown run from the Cal transfer that, that uh, Abilene Christian threw out there. And Abilene Christian had a couple of very talented players. They have some Power 5 transfers on there. That is not a defense. Let me be clear with that. This was not a very good football team. They were bad. They were not as good as Liberty last year. Saying that, they had five, maybe seven guys that really, really belonged on that field and probably could play in the Big 12. They didn't have any depth. They struggled at quarterbacks. They used a really aggressive offense that tried to make the Bears uh, take gambles, take risks, put them on islands. They tried to stretch them out a little bit. Uh, they tried to get angles on them. And, and they did. I, th I thought their, their, their team played a, or called a great game. They have a good head coach um, that won, I think, three titles at the Division II level. That's a good coaching staff and a good offense. But 27 points was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, over 400 yards. I think it was, what, it was 400 and way too dang many uh, for, for Abilene Christian. 466 total yards. 8.1 yards per rush. Um, 9.1 yards per pass. It, it was just, it wasn't pretty, but hey, man, it was a win. It was a win. Yeah, I think my first reaction is similar. I think you have to take away. I told someone today, I said, I saw exactly what I thought I would see, right? Baylor looked like the vastly superior team. Baylor dominated both lines of scrimmage, uh, which was really good to see on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm really, really hoping that offensive line can get some confidence and gain some momentum based on what they did against ACU. Because that you're right, our quarterbacks had a clean pocket the whole night. I remember being very surprised on one of uh, McClendon's touchdown passes as he rolled right that he had any pressure on him because they played so extremely well. So that is probably my biggest positive takeaway is actually that our offensive line did their job and did it very well, both in the pass protection, but also for those running backs, John Lovett and um, DeMichael Hasty, both going over 100 yards uh, in large part because they actually had holes to run through, which I didn't see all season last year. So that was incredible and that was great. 
I am not very happy with with that defensive performance, man. And uh, I've seen some people say, well, you know, it's it's only 27 points or well, we still doubled them up or well, they still looked better. And I and I just do not I did not have any reason to feel any better about our defense this season after what I saw against ACU than I felt about them last season. It was the same issues that I felt we had last season. It was big plays, just gashing us up the middle on long runs, safeties, whiffing on tackles, taking poor angles to make tackles. It was the zone coverage feeling way too soft and them being able to get way too many dink and dumps right into the open areas in our zone coverage. You know, like you said, it was not encouraging to me to see a guy who's been hyped as our best cornerback get beat on that deep ball. So defensively, I think there's a lot of question marks. And if AC, what I told somebody last night is if ACU can score 27 on you, Oklahoma State's going to put up 60. Oklahoma's going to put up 60. So we have to take some steps there. I think getting Clay Johnston back healthy and having Harrison hand out there more than one series will help, but it is concerning. Offensively, let me tell you, Jalen McClendon's my guy. <laughs> and, wow. And, and, listen, I, and, and listen, I was ride or die Chuck Brewer all season last year, right? I love Charlie Brewer. And I would still say Charlie Brewer is going to be a star. He's going to be a star. His senior year at Baylor, he will be a Heisman contender. He's a star. I want to emphasize that. But the thing I saw in Jalen McClendon, and that was not advertised. I did not hear about this until I saw it last night. He had not only great accuracy on every ball he threw, but he had perfect touch. Did you notice that last night? Yes. Every pass he threw had just the right amount of zip or loft or angle through the air. It was perfect. And and the one in particular was that wheel route to Ebner uh, that he ran out of the backfield there's a safety coming down from a deep zone and there was a man trailing Ebner. And if that ball is a little bit overthrown, a little bit underthrown or too hard of a pass, it's, it's getting tipped or picked. And he threw the perfect rainbow touch pass where Ebner got it right in his basket and the two defenders couldn't get to it. The throw to Marcus Jones on the sideline of the end zone there. Perfect throw. Two defenders in decent position. And McClendon, on the run, by the way, put a ball where only Jones could go get it. The throw that Jalen heard. Back shoulder fade. Exactly what you wanted. I, I was so blown away by his accuracy. And I don't want to... Oh, I know I just said Jalen McClendon's my guy, and I don't want to overreact like crazy because after Liberty, everyone was like, well, a new Solomon looks pretty good, and we all saw how that turned out. But... <laughs> Jalen McClendon is real. Like, I think I had this impression that, well, he's a big guy and he can run, so he's going to threaten Charlie. And I was like, well, that's not enough of a reason to threaten Charlie Brewer. I didn't realize this guy could throw the ball. He he looked like a star in the making last night, and I'm really interested to see how he plays as we progressively face better opponents in UTSA and then Duke and, and to see if he can keep – putting that kind of touch and that kind of accuracy on all of his throws. Because if he can keep dissecting like that, man, I'm I'm into it. And then I think the only last thing I'll say before we get to whatever's next is I love how often we targeted backs out of the backfield. 
that was my biggest frustration, I think, with the Art Bryles system was I felt like we underutilized our backs in the passing game. And Hasty and Ebner in particular uh, were made to catch the ball out of the backfield. They're shifty. They've got good hands. So, man, I loved it. And I'm with you. The offensive play calling was great. And I and I whined about it all season last year. And I thought they did a great – they called a great game. They had a great game plan. They were ready to go. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's what I got out of it. I, I can't believe the original driver of the Charlie Brewer bandwagon is throwing him overboard. <laughs> is is deserting? I am not Chuck, throwing deserted, him overboard. You deserted I, him. You just deserted. No, him. I. <laughs> I I've got I got to call it like I see it, and and they should both keep playing. By the way, I'm not uh, like if Charlie if this back injury is not serious, and and you you'll see I tweeted it out right after the game. Let's pray it's not serious because I I am for Charlie Brewer. They both need to play next week. And it may be that next week Charlie Brewer is the one that goes 13 for 15 and 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 McClendon struggles. But last night, you look at the drives and you look at the numbers. McClendon was 13 for 15. Was it 13 for 15 or 13 for 16? He was 10 for 13 for 170. 10 for 13. Yards. I'm sorry. For a, yes, 10 for 13. And and again, those balls were beautiful it's not like he was just dinking and dunking and and getting lucky man he was zipping it Mm -hmm. i mean he looked good tim i mean you you don't think he looked okay all right i I, come on i knew this was gonna come up because this is gonna come up in every conversation every podcast yeah it's got to it's got it is it is the biggest story yeah uh, out of this game and even bigger than the defensive issues and i'll talk about the defensive issues next but but yeah, Jalen McClendon looked sensational. Um, he was 10 of 13, and each of the three incompletions he had literally went through the receiver's hands and were perfectly placed. The first one was on a deep slant route uh, to Denzel Mims. That was a bullet, absolute rocket that Mims just couldn't get through, get to in time, uh, but it was perfectly placed. The next was a deep ball to Chris Platt, which again was perfectly placed, but Platt turned around, it looked to me at least, that Platt turned around the wrong shoulder and the ball just caught up to him and it went through his hands and then Denzel Mims was the last one. Deep uh, go route again, right at the goal line, Mims and missed that, it. That was one of his best throws of the night too, that yes. last one that Mims dropped, yes. So you you could be talking about, realistically, you could be talking about 13 for 13 here. You could be talking about 13 for 13. He didn't have a single ball that was thrown improperly. Brewer, on the other hand, struggled. And it it was something that we really hadn't seen. I mean, he completed over 70% of his passes last year. He was incredibly accurate. It has has high school football records for his accuracy. He was very inaccurate Saturday night, which was just shocking. I mean, he was throwing at receivers' feet. Uh, the, the one interception, the last pass that he had was probably about two feet too high. Hurd had an incredible effort just to get a hand on it, it looked like. Tipped up, and it took a bad bounce. It shouldn't have been intercepted, but it was still a terrible pass. You know, Brewer seemed slow to me. And especially when you watch him throw a ball and then you watch McClendon throw a ball. The things that I heard about Jalen McClendon were he was a big athlete, not a fast runner, but a sturdy runner. And he had a cannon NFL caliber arm, strength-wise. Accuracy-wise, it was hit or miss, and it was mostly miss. Needless to say, we didn't see a lot of miss. His arm strength was there. I mean, 
throwing those uh, 10 to 15 yard stop routes out to Chris Platt, Denzel Mims, it got there in half a second. It I mean, he a, flicked his wrist. It, it was just there. It, it, it yeah. takes a second and a half for Brewer to do it, just from his limited arm strength. And quite honestly, I didn't see much of a different year over year from Brewer in the arm strength category. Um, but McClendon's balls, they just have a zip to it. I mean, it's it's one of those where you can hear it go whistle when it goes by you. It's that kind of ball. That's that's very, very rare. I think Seth Russell had that kind of ball. Bryce yeah. Petty did not. Bryce Petty just didn't. Bryce Petty had a good arm. He has an NFL caliber arm. He doesn't have that kind of ball. Seth Russell does. Jalen McClendon does. We'll see if the accuracy from McClendon is legit or if it was just a one-game outlier. Because, again, as you said um, earlier, it was just one game. But, wow, what a what a game. I, I mean, you cannot ask for more from a quarterback. I mean, he was – he they scored, what was it, 38 points on seven drives with McClendon under center. 38 points. Brewer led them for 17 points on his six drives. Brewer averaged 34 and a third yards per drive. McClendon averaged 49 yards per drive. And that included that 16-yard drive for a touchdown um, on his second one, that beautiful pass he threw to Marquez Jones. Um, so so McClendon was legit. I, he was by far the better quarterback. And I completely agree with you. If Brewer is healthy, which we'll probably know more earlier in the week, um, some reports are coming out that he was trying to get back into the game. I think the coaching staff obviously made that the right wouldn't surprise there. me. He's yeah. a competitor. That's why I like him. And he he could be the Black Knight with his arms falling off, and he'd say, "I, I still want to go in. I'm not worried about that." But we'll we'll see how he does in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we'll we'll obviously we'll be asked about it by by the local media quite a bit, um, and we'll see if he plays. If he does, I hope they rotate again. I hope Brewer gets the start. I hope they do the exact same thing because it worked. Um, so we'll see offensively, uh, McLennan was the better quarterback bar none, no question. He was better in every way possible than Charlie Brewer. That's not to say he's a better quarterback than Brewer. I think it's too early. It's just one game defensively. The, the one thing that gives me hope is just think back a year ago to the 48 points that Liberty Put on Baylor. A better Liberty team than Abilene Christian. Um, and then think about a week later when UTSA, with a quarterback that was just in an NFL camp, um, a couple of top-tier running backs, wide receivers, all-conference, CUSA, of course, but all-conference caliber offensive players, skill players, they put 17 on them. This was a defense that got significantly better Game by game by game. A couple of outliers. Oklahoma State, obviously one of the best offensive programs in the nation. OU, one of the it's gonna happen in the Big 12. But look what they did against UTSA in game two versus Liberty in game one. That gives me hope because we've seen the improvement week over week, the steady improvement. The Baylor defense at the end of the year, in my opinion, was a top 50 to 75 defense in college football. At the beginning of the year, they were in the bottom 25, probably, what they showed against Liberty. It was just god-awful. So I think the defense is going to be better. In fact, I'm not as worried about this defense. There were issues for sure. There were miscommunications. There was misassignments. As you said, getting Harrison Hand back healthy 
that's going to give him a boost. It's going to improve it. You know, Graylin Arnold is a lot better than we saw Saturday night. He's a solid, legit Big 12 cornerback. He's better than what he played. He'll get better. Um, Harrison Hand getting back. Clay Johnson in the middle. I mean, the linebackers struggle. Terrell Bernard, he hadn't been really practicing much at all this, this fall. He had that um, tremendous interception, read the play perfectly. That was even more impressive than actually catching it. He read and diagnosed the play properly. He saw, he reacted, he didn't think and then do it. That's what we saw a lot of last year. I saw a lot more reacting rather than thinking defensively. We just, we didn't have the right guys out there in a lot of spots. I mean, we had two walk-ons and a long long snapper out there in our linebacker core on a couple of drives. That's not going to work. I think the biggest concern, is the containment on the edges, um, especially the defensive ends. The linebackers will help with that, but the defensive ends, they were too aggressive with their pass rush. And that was a lot of use out there. I mean, you're looking at James Lynch. You're looking at Deontay Williams, who is new to the position. Marjay Smith even was out there. He had it happen. James Lockhart, while he's a redshirt junior, he really didn't play a lot his first few years uh, behind a couple of All-Americans and uh, first-round draft choices at Texas A&M. He's still young in what he wants to do as a, as a, uh, a college football player. There's not a lot of proven experience at the defensive ends, and we saw a lot of guys sink in, try to go inside, not trust the play, it seemed like to me. Um, so that should be coachable. That should be correctable. We'll see if the Bears are more diligent with uh, containing the edge, keeping holding their gaps, um, playing the run first, or if they try to go sack hunting like they did a little bit against Abilene Christian, and they get burned down the edge for a 75-yard game. So here's the thing, I, and maybe this is just where we disagree. We can pump sunshine all we want about the defense. I'm not buying it till I see it. And you said this earlier, but I just want to reemphasize that Abilene Christian – Averaged 8.1 yards per carry mm-hmm. on our defense. And and the excuse might be, well, they had those long runs. I'm like, that's almost even more the point. Mm-hmm. Because that's why we lost to Duke last year. Some would say Duke, Kansas State, both winnable games last season, got gashed on a couple big plays, a couple long runs, right up the gut, right up the gut. And it happened again. And I talked to J.J. Perez over there at the 247 affiliate uh, for UTSA this morning, and he told me that they're running back B.J. Daniels. And granted, he's pumping a little bit of sunshine too because I don't know if you saw, UTSA had two yards rushing yesterday against Arizona State. So It was but, bad. It was, they, he, were, they were awful. They were. They were really uh, bad. They were. But he was telling me this B.J. Daniels kid, their starting running back, is big and he's real and, and he wants to eat defenses up. And, you know, I'm not convinced how good he is, but I am not I, – I get fearful anytime I hear that there's a good running back coming at us because I am just so tired of seeing it happen. I'm so over it. Like, uh, this was Abilene Christian, and I know, I know that I, I should be, and and I'm not dismissing the fact that we won, and I'm not dismissing the fact that there were some good plays by the defense, but this was Abilene Christian, and they averaged 8.1 yards a carry. That has to get better, and I mean drastically better. We should be holding Abilene Christian to three yards a carry at least, you know, and so. 
man, I'm just not buying it, Tim. I'm not buying it. I'm I'm not buying the the improvement you're selling. And and Bartlemay's been texting me all day. You need to lighten up on our defense. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Oh, it it, I, it was bad. It was bad. And and it'll be interesting to see because Billy Billy McCrary, I think is his name, for Aveline Christian. He was a transfer from Cal. So he is a legit player. And he is a fast player. Yeah. He rushed Six times for 141 yards. That's you a problem. Take out, you take out him, and he is a pure speed back. You take out him, it was 21 rushes for 79 yards. That's 3.76 yards per carry. So the only reason I'm saying, I'm not saying that his rushes don't count. They absolutely do. do. But when UTSA's runner is a big, thick, strong running back that wants to eat people for breakfast, um, I'm not as worried about that. I, I, I'm really not. Um, that's what Tracy James, number 21 for Abilene Christian is. 12 rushes, 40 yards. Okay. Okay. You rush 12 times for 40 yards. I'm doing backflips if that's your lead running back. Now, I have not looked at UTSA's personnel. If they have a speed br- back, color me a little bit concerned. And I know one thing, I know one thing in my heart that Phil Snow is going to have those defensive players watch those runs time after time after time after time. They had a 75-yard run. They had a 47-yard run. 17, 12, 11, 11, 12. Can't happen. Can't happen against Aveline Christian. Shouldn't happen against UTSA, especially the two big ones, 75 and 47 yards. Can't happen. I get to your point. That's what killed them against Kansas State. That's what killed them against Duke. Against Duke, I didn't believe outside of those big runs, they were under three and a half yards per carry. Play and play and play, the Bears' defense did their job. Three times, they didn't, and they lost. That was the reason why they lost against Duke. If they do that against UTSA, if they do that against Duke in a couple of weeks, that will, again, be a reason why they put themselves in position to lose. So I know Phil Snow is going to, to be pounding those guys about all of the issues that they, that they had. And I've always said that the first game is the game to have a bad defensive performance on because it's the one that you learn the most from. It is the one that you're hitting somebody else for the first time. You're seeing new things that... You've never seen on tape because Abilene Christian didn't have a game before this. They were two and nine, I think, last year. They struggled as well, just like Baylor. They put on a lot of new things on tape. Baylor now has a week of tape on UTSA and what they want to do against Arizona State, right? Arizona yeah. State. Herm Edwards. Um, Herm Edwards. Oh, good old Herm. Um, they have a week of tape on it. They know a little bit more about Arizona State or uh, about UTSA by way of their loss to Arizona State against what they knew about Abilene Christian. So the game plan is going to be more specific for UTSA, I believe, because they just have more information. Secondly, they know their capabilities of each of their players. While we're not as youthful as we were last year with way too many freshmen playing, we had a lot of sophomores out there. Um, we really only played two or three true freshmen on defense. Marjay Smith at defensive end, um, Kalen Barnes at cornerback, uh, and JT Woods at safety. So those are the only three true safeties that played. But 
look at the redshirt freshmen and the true sophomores that were out there. There was over a dozen of them. So these are still young guys. I mean, James Lynch was one of our best defensive players last last uh, on Saturday night. He was tremendous in the last six games of the week or the season last year, but you know how many games he played last year? Like seven. He's still a young player. He made a lot of young player mistakes in his first game. Hopefully he can get better. That is my hope. My hope is for Baylor in the next couple of weeks to prove that they're a top 60 defense, maybe top 75 worst case. I think if they do that, they're two steps ahead of what they were last year. If we do that, we can beat UTSA. We can beat Duke. We will beat Kansas. So I see hope. I see improvement. I see history of why the second game is always better for the defense. Um, offensively, you want to have those. We, I don't think we threw a lot uh, out there that was to be unexpected uh, outside of the quarterback rotation offensively, so I still think we have things to th- throw out there. Um, but, yeah, the defense wasn't good enough. Hopefully, his, like histor- history says, it should be able to improve and get better. So we've hit uh, Jalen McClendon, which I know is a big talking point. We've, we've adequately roasted and – also sparked a little hope for the defense. Let's look at the offense uh, again, and I think the biggest talking point for the offense, talking point, maybe not the most deserving talking point, the biggest talking point is going to be the receivers. And one of the obvious points that I'd like to speak on is Jalen Hurd is real. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I am naturally an optimist. And so when I hear things in camp like, Jalen Hurd is the most NFL-ready player on this roster. I try to be skeptical because my natural optimism will overtake it, and I'll get way too excited, and I'll get put way too much stock into little reports like that, and then I'm always inevitably disappointed. Jalen Hurd is an NFL receiver, and I think uh, when you if you ask anybody before the game, you know, well, Jalen Hurd had 58 yards. They'd go, oh, well, that's not great. But if you saw the plays he made, the ways in which he got those yards – uh, like you said, his effort on the Charlie Brewer errant pass. I, I there was a half second where I thought he was going to come down with that ball, mm-hmm. hell or hell or high water. I thought he was going to come down with that ball somehow, and so he's real. I thought they did a really good job. I don't know if you noticed this on, I believe it was the second drive. It it was the first touchdown drive. So that'd be the third drive. Third drive. Charlie had the first two. You're right. You're I right. It was punt field so goal. And the I, touchdown I don't know if you noticed this. On the third drive, they had failed to get the receivers really working, and they threw in in succession, slant to Jalen Hurd, 12 or 13 yards, I don't remember, screen to Denzel Mims, on which he got 12 or 13 yards, and then a quick out to Chris Platt, on which he got 12 or 13 yards, and that's when he stretched and, and almost got to the end zone. And I thought, I said, that's what I want with those three, is very intentional. We have three real weapons on the perimeter. We're going to get them the ball. And I and as soon as I saw that on that drive, I said, that's what we need to be doing. And I thought they did a really good job of that. Do you think... Um, and I read some reports on this today. Are they are they holding Snead and and Holmes back for a red shirt? Because we saw we saw the big ones. Marcus Jones got a lot of snaps. Pooh Strickland had snaps, uh, and Tyquan Thornton had a lot of snaps. But I didn't see any Holmes or Snead. Are they? You think they're recovering? You think they're red shirting? 
Yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a a plan for what Baylor wants to do. They're obviously going to leverage those that the four uh, a game rule for the redshirt rule that's new this year. Uh, I think that's just been phenomenal. I think R.J. Sneed is not as far along as Gavin Holmes is at this point, from what I've heard. Holmes might play in a couple of weeks, get his four games in, give R.J. Sneed a little bit more time, and then bring R.J. Sneed in for the last four games. At least that's what I would do. Um, because you would like to redshirt them if possible, and then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, but uh, the, really the three wide receivers that uh, that the non-true freshman wide receivers that were really on the table to redshirt were to the two that you mentioned in Sneed and Holmes and then Jared Atkinson. Jared Atkinson's already played as well. And late in camp, um, Rule made it very clear. He's like, he's playing his way out, out of redshirting. He played a lot on special teams. He was out there quite a bit in the fourth quarter. Uh, really didn't get targeted or catch anything, but he's a guy that the coaching staff absolutely loves. Um, you know, I just step away from the team earlier this year due to his mother's, uh, uh, battle with cancer, which is going well. Um, He's back with the team. The team loves him. Um, they really rallied around him. He's a guy uh, that's going to be a good depth piece. Um, he's a hard worker. He comes and practices every day. He does all the special teams. He's out there block. He's out there talk, tackling on the kickoff uh, and punt. Uh, so he's a guy that really does a lot of the dirty work. Um, but, yeah, I think they would like to redshirt uh, Gavin Holmes and R.J. Sneed in a perfect world, as well as redshirting a guy like Jackson Gleason who did not play. Um, Josh Fleeks actually played, but it was a running back. Uh, I think that's just a way to get him more involved. He's a guy that they could visualize like a little bit more like Treston Ebner, uh, who could play a little bit more wide receiver, um, if Fleeks could at least. Uh, so it'll be interesting what they do with him. The other big offensive skill player that didn't play was Craig Williams, who I had heard they kind of wanted to get him involved a little bit. I think they're going to do that in the coming weeks as some gadgets or punt kick return, something like that. He's just so fast, so electric. Uh, but yeah, if they can redshirt a lot of these guys that were true freshmen that had to play last year, stagger it so they can still keep their depth, I think the coaching staff absolutely wants to do that. Well, let's give a shout-out. You mentioned special teams. Let's give a shout-out to Connor Martin for coming back and hitting a 50-yard field goal with room to spare. That was beautiful. And let's give a shout-out to Drew Galitz, who I've loved him since we got him. He was a highly rated guy coming out of high school, picked Baylor, has done nothing but play well as a punter. So I was happy to see him back out there. We had three scary returns there though um four if four if you count the one that heard tracked back and wheeled around and got ended up getting 15 on but it scared me to death um you know one of the things that matt rule said when he was hired was you know we're gonna we're gonna fix special teams here and play really well on special teams and we're not gonna commit stupid penalties and um the penalties last night i could be nitpicky i i got mad at chris miller for for a late hit um Penalties, I can handle, uh, I think we only had five penalties, if that sounds right. I don't have it up. Four. Let me see. Four, pe- yeah, great. I'm cool with that. That that might be the most encouraging stat. Uh, no, it was five. Under the sorry, r- it, was, it was five okay. for 53. Five for 53. Yeah. And five four, of those, four of those were in the first half. It was four for 48 in the first half. Yeah, and, and I can live with that. That's fine. But special teams, you want to attribute that to jitters or... 
or do we just need to <laughs> run them more in practice? <laughs> so I, I think there were a couple of reasons. Number one, Jalen Hurd really hasn't done punt returning before. Didn't do it at Tennessee. Um, secondly, if you notice their punter, was a rugby-style punter. He wasn't kicking them nice and high. He was kicking ones that were skidding five yards above the ground and just shooting down the field. So his punts were very, very weird-looking. So I'm not as worried about that. They took some weird bounces. uh, And Tony Nicholson should be the primary punt returner for the Bears. I think he's very sure-handed. I think he's very sure-handed. Mm. He he should have broken three last year, and two of them I think were called back for penalties. He muffed a lot of punts last year too, Tim. I I like him back there. I, I know got, you do, but he muffed a lot of punts last year too. It maybe it's selective memory. I just remember the roses and the petals and him walking in the end zone and seeing a, a yellow flag on the field. So may, maybe maybe I'm I have selective memory, but I I, I feel better with him about that. I mean, heard. He had that one nice punt return of 15 yards, but again, he caught it Willie May style running towards his goal line at the four yard line and spun. I was like, Oh my, we're going to get a safety. He's going to get a safety. What is he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually made a guy miss. That was really nice, but he should let that bounce. And it'll be interesting to see if he does it next week uh, after the film session uh, or if they just, Stack it up to jitters, give him more reps, get him ready for later in the year. And maybe that's something that he's really pushing to do because it helps his next level career. Well, and here's the deal. I I would get angry. I mean, probably the most angry I got with the Bryle staff was they kept trotting guys out there to return punts that weren't Katie Cannon and Corey Coleman and when Terrence Williams was an elite kick returner and then he became an elite number one receiver, they stopped letting him return kicks. And I was like, and Corey Coleman would get out there and return four punts a year and take three of them back to the house that would get called back on penalties. And I'd be like, he needs to be back there. So I, I love Jalen Hurd back there. I think with what he did at Tennessee and who he is, he is probably the most explosive open field runner we have on the roster. Him or Hasty. I mean... You know, take your pick, but I I love having Jalen Hurd back there for the for the punts, man. The Brawls era version of special teams was, especially the returns, was just catch the dang ball and let the offense go score. <laughs> that that was Levi Norwood. For four I was gonna years. say let's let's give Levi Norwood some credit though because he did a good job. But outside so for, of that, for three years, he spent eighty percent of his time waving his hand over his head. And catching the ball. His senior year, he made some big plays. He they, they let him go a little bit. He had that massive punt return against Texas Tech after I think Baylor went down by 21 to nothing. And that brought him back and really sparked a comeback. And he had another, I think he had another one for a touchdown later in the game, if I'm remembering correctly. That has been a few years. So yeah, it's the amount of speed, the amount of talent that Baylor always had under Bryles, and the amount of fair catches and boring kick returners that we had was a head scratcher. I think, I mean, you saw what, what rule wants to do with Tyquan Thornton back there. I mean, he's Chris Platt might yell at me, but Tyquan Thornton's possibly the fastest guy on the team. And he's back there at 170 pounds catching the ball. Yep. And I'm holding my breath saying, Oh, this could be, he could be gone. If there's one alley, one, one lane, he's gone. It's a touchdown. Last, uh, last thing we, we need to talk over, I think is, uh, 
what do we take away from this performance that goes into this next week and and even the couple weeks to come? Because, you know, like we've both said, it's one game. And so my McClendon reaction might be a little over the top, but but what what do we take away from a from a good win? Right. Let's let's give the team credit. They played what like I said, they played like I expected them to play. They dominated the game and had a couple of big missteps. What do we take away from this game and take into this week against UTSA? What what do we need to see improve? What do we need to see happen again? How do we how confident do we feel? You know, um, we've got Baylor people predicting anywhere from four to eight wins this year, you know, and I know again, probably shouldn't change that based on an ACU game, but but how do we look into next week and into the rest of the season? I, I had this game as a win before. I have this game as a win now. Um, I think the running game was better than I thought it would be. And this is my biggest concern offensively is, was the run blocking real? Because I think the area where Abilene Christian was the most undersized, the least talented, was along the defensive line. Because that's just so hard to find. Saying that, last year, UTSA probably had the best defensive line that we saw, especially the best individual player in Marcus Davenport, who is now starting for the New Orleans Saints as a first-round pick. He won the game for UTSA last year. If Davenport's not out there, I think Baylor probably scores 28 to 35 points. He destroyed Baylor, specifically our left tackle, and then took it out on a new Solomon. And that was the last time we saw him. Uh, so is the running game legit? I think it is. Hasty and Lovett looked so fast. They yeah. looked so strong. And it wasn't them it, it wasn't them just running through big holes. Uh, Lovett, especially some of the jukes and moves he put on those those poor defensive backs for Evelyn Christian. Oh, Oh my, I don't know if anybody's watching Hard Knocks, but Jarvis Landry would say, bless him. Just bless him. Just bless him. Because he made some he made some some Church of Christ people look really, really <laughs> unfortunate. On their knees. They 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 were doing the Hail Marys. They were praying because I, he broke. Ten, 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 wait, I got inter- I don't think Church of Christ people do Hail Marys, homie. Do you they got- not? I, I don't know, man. I, I'm Methodist. I, that, I, I just well, I go everywhere. It's hell- fine. Hail Marys is Catholic. Is it? Is it? Church okay, of Christ is about 180 from Catholic as you can get, homie. Let me just. Let me just. <laughs> I, I I understand the point you're trying to make, but you could have made a better. You could have done a better job of it. But continue. I'm sorry I'm okay for interrupting. All of our religious scholars, <laughs> I I sincerely apologize. Um, but individually, they 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 did the things that they needed to do in the open field. They made guys miss that they should have missed. I think one criticism I had of John Lovett last year was he oh, and this is a good and a bad thing. He always ran with his shoulder pads ahead of him. He always fell forward, which is a really 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 good thing for getting three to five yards. Today he ran with his shoulder pads over his feet, and his balance was a lot better. His moves were a lot better. He was able to keep his feet a lot better than he did at times last year. Um, so hopefully that's something that he's improved on. You could tell that he was 20 pounds bigger. You could tell that Jermichael Hasey was 15, 20 pounds bigger. You could tell along the offensive lines that we looked like a Division One Power 5 conference offensive line without four guys that are under 290 pounds out there. Um, so there are definite positives. I, I hope the defense is better. I think we're going to be playing a slightly better offense than we played against Abilene Christian against UTSA. Um, we'll see. 
I need to do a little bit more research and, and, and watch more tape on, on UTSA to get a better feel for them. Uh, but I, I, I'm optimistic. I, I, think, uh, I think it should be a, a nice trip down to San Antonio for the Bears next week. Well, in UTSA, uh, I would expect their offensive personnel to be a lot better. However, they are actually uh, also having a quarterback crisis or battle of their own and it's the opposite where instead of two guys who played fairly well uh, yesterday they had two guys who couldn't move the ball yesterday who are both uh, talented by all accounts but really struggled against Arizona State so it will be interesting to see you could see both teams next week rotating quarterbacks in and out depending on Brewer's health and depending on what uh, UTSA decides to do yeah I agree with you and I think I think the biggest thing I'm going to watch is the offensive line uh, because, number one, you should have Frew Morgan back. What we saw out of the guys that played last night was was very good. And, and you know, I said last year over and over, this is the Achilles heel. This is what is holding this team back is this offensive line. Uh, Michael Bartlemy during our position previews a couple weeks ago said, this team is going to go as far as this offensive line decides it's going to go. So I was very, very encouraged, and I want to see steady progress. I want to see the same or better against UTSA. I want to see holes being opened up. I want to see clean pockets. And then Duke is where I'm going to say we're playing against other D1 guys. It's time to be men. And if we can keep progressing and keep doing the same things we did against ACU, against those two teams, I will feel really good headed into Big 12 play. I am curious to see how the quarterbacks play. Uh, I want to see... The play, I want to see the same kind of play calling. I felt like, like I said earlier, I felt like we were the right amount of aggressive in our play calling against ACU, taking shots downfield, throwing those mid to deep range passes, mixed very well with the run, very well with the quick screens and the slants. Just, I cannot rave it. That was the other biggest leap of improvement I saw between last year and this year was. I felt like last night we had an offensive game plan that was good tempo, well thought out, excellent. It was crisp. It was it was crisp, and you saw Baylor actually go up tempo a few times, and that was one of my biggest complaints about Nixon and the offensive staff last year. Is they they said at the beginning of the year they want to use tempo as a weapon, they didn't. They never went up tempo. They never quick snapped it. It was always the same. It was a it was a they they got into a rhythm and it was the same thing and against Abilene Christian, they, they ramped up that rhythm. They did quick snap a few times. They did, they went quick. They, they increased the tempo. They slowed it down. So that was their main tempo, but they had some temp, they had some curveballs in there. And I think that is such an important weapon to develop for a team that wants to go a little bit slower. You have to be able to, to change that tempo, get the defense on their heels a little bit against Abilene Christian. They did. Yep. And I think, I think defensively, I, we got to play better. And that's the bottom line. And it's like, we will see what happens and see if, like you said, this first week we get this drastic improvement from week one to week two. Now that they can watch tape, now that they can get a week of tape on UTSA and, and kind of scout out their offense a little bit. But I've got to see better angles, man. And you've got to make tackles when you get in the right position. And my guy, I'm going to – I can't do a podcast segment this long without giving a shout-out to Superman – Superman struggled, and 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 I got he looked fired. slow. He, he did. Looked, he looked slow. I I I rewatched the game this morning, and there was a blitz 
with him and um, the long snapper Ross uh, Matisic, I believe is his last name. Um, and Matisic got to the quarterback before Lynch did. Lynch was slow. I don't know if it was if it's foot speed injury or if it's just him not knowing his role in his defense. He just looked like he was running in quicksand at times, and you, you can't you can't do that at that position. You just can't. Yep. So love him. Got to see improvement, and yep. and it's and it's tackling, and it's angles, and it's and it's being where you're supposed to be. So, any last thoughts, Tim Watkins? No, I I think um, 686 days is a long time to go out the home win. They did it. They won. Let's go. Uh, let's go beat some roadrunners and get a win in San Antonio too. Heck yeah! All right, man. Good stuff. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Watkins of Bears Illustrated. Again, if you have any thoughts about that game and what you saw against ACU, why don't you go ahead and tweet them at us at bear underscore podcast. I called JJ Perez. He works for Inside Runner Sports, which is a 247 affiliate that covers the UTSA Roadrunners. And he gave me a little insight into what the Roadrunners are looking like this year and what we can expect this Saturday. So enjoy this conversation with JJ Perez. Very good. I've got JJ Perez of Inside Runner Sports with me. And uh, JJ, I guess the first thing is why don't you tell, for those of us who weren't paying attention, um, talk about the Roadrunners' loss against Arizona State. I know it was from the box score and from the final score, it looked a little rough, but but what did you see in that, uh, that loss to ASU? It was it was definitely rough. There was uh, very little that went right for the Roadrunners in their season opener against Arizona State. Uh, it was just tough, tough sledding from the very beginning. Uh, the Sun Devils put up 14 points before the 13-minute mark in the first quarter, and you know it was kind of all downhill from there. It just, UTSA started a first-time JUCO starting quarterback who struggled. The offensive line struggled. I think UTSA produced a total of two net yards rushing. Uh, they gave up a double-digit number in, uh, of sacks, and they just had little, little, little go, go right for them. It was a tough sledding. It was a, 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 a tough environment for, you know, a lot of new new faces on the team. The UTSA had a lot of first-time players, see action, um, a, a lot of freshman play. And it was kind of baptismal by fire, and that, that that was kind of the result that came from it. So it, it probably was a little worse than it actually was, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a good showing in the season opener for the Roadrunners. When you look at some of those numbers and some of those uh, statistics, I, I know I saw the two yards rushing as well when I looked at the recap. Do you attribute that more to UTSA's uh, inexperience or areas of weakness, or was is ASU that good i think it's a combination of both uh, you know headed into a season opener you never know exactly what you're going to get out of a team and i think uh especially with arizona state and herm edwards being kind of out of the game for so long a lot of people weren't you know really expecting much from them but that was a very good offense that was a very good defense and they they kind of pushed UTSA around in the trenches, which kind of surprised me because uh, this UTSA squad is bigger and deeper along the offensive line than we've ever seen. 
And the defensive line was also, you know, pretty stout. We returning several guys from a, a team a year ago that was, you know, one of the top defensive teams in the nation. So I think it was a combination of both. Um, I want to say there were some uh, first-game jitters, you know, playing in front of 50,000 fans. That's not an environment that UTSA plays in every game. Uh, you know, it's a brand-new revamped offensive line. And, you know, they just they, – there were miscommunications, I think, you know, Arizona State was obviously the better team, more talented, but uh, it was com- I think combination of both both factors there. So based on that one performance, and I know you don't have just a lot to work on, but what would you say are UTSA's uh, biggest strengths as well as their biggest areas where they need to improve? So I, I mean, obviously the the biggest strength is is the defense, and um, it, it starts in the middle with linebacker Josiah Talafa. He was a all-American two seasons ago as a as a freshman and last season he he was plagued by injuries and kind of had a setback and last night he was the best player on the field for the Roadrunners he was all over the field led the team in tackles and was just you know a a monster kind of returning to his all-American form um the defensive line is still pretty good They, they they have about eight guys that they rotate in and out and uh, I think that they'll still be able to be one of the top units in in league play. I think, and uh, overall, it's just you know the the concerns moving forward is the offense. There was there was no flow. It, it's a first year under a new coordinator, Al Borges. Uh, it's a new offensive system, and it looks like UTSA has not a quarterback controversy, but you know they they named a starter a JUCO college transfer from from Northeast Oklahoma and Cordell Grundy. He struggled. They they kind of planned to play their graduate transfer from SMU DJ Gillins a little, and he got in quite a bit and he struggled as well. So uh, it's just a matter of you know shaking out which one of those guys is going to be their main guy moving forward. And then I mean obviously they got to establish a running game. Two yards is 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 it's hard to win in that with that kind of production and if they're able to get any any kind of running game going i don't think that it really matters too much as who the quarterback is and and how productive he is absolutely you know i think a lot of baylor fans are going to hear the way you're talking about uh this team and see a lot of similarities just between I know you guys, I think, had 13 freshmen playing last night, uh, starting last night, if I read that correctly. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and Baylor kind of had a similar situation last season. And and then on top of that, I don't know what you've seen about the Baylor game last night, but Baylor had a, two quarterbacks rotating out every two series between Charlie Brewer and Jalen McClendon, and I think the one that was the surefire starter is the one that played worse out of the two. So <laughs> we've got kind of our own quarterback controversy in Waco. But heading into that matchup uh, this coming Saturday as Baylor travels to San Antonio, uh, what do you expect to see from the Roadrunners? How do you expect uh, them to match up with the Bears? And um, what do you see happening in that game? Well, it's kind of there's two sides to to, to that question. One is, you know, it's, it's the home opener for the Roadrunners. The 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 administration, the athletic department, is making a big push to to get a lot of fans into the Alamo Dome. So I think we'll see a pretty good sized crowd from, you know, UTSA standards. Uh, they they've kind of drawn on the lower end the last few years, so they're making a big push to to make this game, you know. 
a lot of a lot of fan movement. So they they're donating tickets to you know the military. They're they're doing a bunch of stuff. So it should be an exciting you know atmosphere from that standpoint. For as far as the game goes, I, I just I I don't know. It's kind of like you know Arizona State is a a good squad and you know they kind of dominated the Roadrunners. I don't think the Roadrunners are as bad as what they played. Uh, in Tempe, but at the same time, I think Baylor may be a little bit better than the team we saw at the beginning of last season. And, you know, you know those guys who were on the team last season, you know, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder or something to, to prove from, from that game a year ago. So, um, I think we, you know, we're going to be, we're going to see a closely contested contest and, you know, who knows, who knows what this, uh, what this game holds to be honest with you. Who are two or three players on UTSA's roster that Baylor fans really need to watch for in this matchup? Absolutely. There's um, a fresh, or I'm sorry, a sophomore running back out of Florida named DJ Daniels. Um, he 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 played a little bit last year, but he's uh, just a real physical every down back that you know let, he had, he had the most carries in the first game. I think he's poised for a breakout season. He's just a big, bruising, physical back, kind of all-purpose, Mr. Do-Everything uh, on, on the offensive side. I think uh, though the wide receiver, there's a, a, a freshman uh, 6'5 wide receiver named Tyke Old Kellogg, who was uh, originally committed to Tennessee, are highly recruited by Tennessee, but he had some off-the-field problems. They... You know, they, they took back his offer. He, he was, he actually didn't play high school in his senior year because of the off the field problem. Mm-hmm. UTSA took a chance on him. Now, you know, he's gotten his, his uh, off the field stuff strained out and it looks like he's going to pay dividends. He's a big, tall, physical wide, wide receiver. Some, uh, a power five talent that, you know, UTSA has never had that kind of talent on their roster before. And then on the defensive side, uh, there's a defensive tackle named Kevin Strong in the middle who's uh, already client on some early NFL draft boards. Um, you know, kind of a big run stuffer and he kind of leads the way for a pretty talented defensive, defensive line. So I think, um, those are some of the guys you kind of need to watch for. And I guess the player of the quarterback, I mean, there's two quarterbacks, Cordell Grundy, who's, who's likely going to start and DJ Gillins, who's probably going to get in sometime as well. So I don't think they'll, Rotate them as frequent. I think I think against Arizona State, it was every third series. Uh, Gillen's got in, and then he played two series. So it didn't seem like it was you know scheduled. They just kind of went with the flow of the game. So I think that's what fans should should just some of the players the fans should look for. All right. Well, well. How about we finish with this, man? Give give me your prediction. I know you're you're feeling a little unsure about your squad, but you know I, I think I've got Baylor. If I had to guess, I've got Baylor winning by about ten. I think you're right. I think it's going to be closer than people would expect when you look at uh, the scores from this last Saturday. But um, I do think Baylor comes in angry and uh, excited to get that second win, which would already be better than what we did last year. <laughs> um, so I've got Baylor by 10. What If you had to guess, if you had to put something on the line there uh, for Saturday, how would you say this game goes down? I would probably say the Bears by seven points. I I, I think it's going to be pretty competitive, um, probably for, from both sides. I, I just think probably the talent edge is a little bit more with Baylor this season, more than I mean, it's like we talked about earlier, just 
the the lack of experience with this road on the rosters it was just it was so apparent with all the miscommunications and you know that those are some of the things that don't get fixed until you you take those reps you, you get you get that experience so i think the I, I think the bears come out on top on this one and you know kind of give the roadrunners payback for last season a special thank you once again to J.J. Perez for coming on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me and giving us the inside scoop on the UTSA Roadrunners. Should be a fun game this Saturday, like I said to J.J. I do expect Baylor to come out with a win. I do expect it to be a little more tightly contested than what we saw against ACU this last Saturday. But let's get excited. I really think we could see Baylor come out on top and be 2-0 and this time next week. So, Tune into that game if you can. Go down to San Antonio. Attend that game if you can. And let's support our Baylor Bears. And last week, you heard Michael Bartleman and I give our opening arguments for Cam Newton or RG3. Who was the better all-time college dual-threat quarterback? And so I went ahead and Skyped Michael this week, and we went at it for just a few minutes back and forth. And so here is our discussion on who the better college dual-threat quarterback was between Cam Newton and RG3. Okay, so I think you had a chance to listen to my opening argument, and I had a chance to listen to your opening argument. I'll say it from the top. I, I chuckled when I had recorded my opening argument. I went back and listened to yours, and the first thing I had said was, you got to start by looking at a full career. And the first thing you said was... You got to start. Right, let's just look at the Heisman seasons. Just look at the Heisman seasons. I thought that was pretty comical. Well, I said it because Cam only played one season at the D1 level. I understand that, but that's that's part of you know. So that's it. Didn't seem fair for me to go back and pull out his JUCO. Yeah, per- but that's that's part of my whole argument for Griffin is I think he, when you're evaluating a college football player all time. You know, there's guys that have three, four-year runs that are impressive as opposed to one breakout season, you know? So what you're saying is is that Cam Newton at Florida should have been starting the two years while Tim Tebow was winning national championships? That's not is, that, wh- is that the argument you're making? No, dude, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that you have to consider the fact that, that Robert Griffin didn't just put together one magnificent season in an offense completely catered to him. He put together two excellent seasons and one very, very good season considering he was a freshman uh, playing with a four-win Baylor team. And I think I think that says a lot. You've also got to consider Robert Griffin, if I remember correctly, and I'd have to go back and look it up. I should have done this beforehand. I believe started his career with more consecutive passes thrown without an interception than any quarterback in FBS history. Um, at the time, that was the case. I, yes. I, that, is, that is actually true. I remember that because I was there when he set the record. I believe he did it against, or when he, when he finally threw his first pick, which I think was against OU that year, uh, if memory serves me right. Sure, and so that just, uh, again, you know, if we're comparing these two guys, and I'll let you argue back with me in a second, but if we're comparing these two guys, you've got to, part of my, my whole argument for Robert Griffin over Cam Newton, because you can't argue the rushing thing. They're two completely different styles of runner, and Cam's numbers are better, so you can't argue the rushing. I will argue that Robert Griffin is a far superior intelligent player on the field, makes far better decisions, and did in college, and was a far more accurate thrower. 
a far more accurate passer made less mistakes. And and I think again, when you can come in as an eighteen year old and set a record like that, that's just more proof to the pudding, man. Yeah, no doubt. Robert's a really good decision maker. I, I you'll never hear me argue against that, and you'll never hear me argue that Robert doesn't deserve to be in the conversation. My point here is is that let's look at Baylor's offense and the way Baylor's offense is tailored during that time period. Yes, good decision maker, but let's look at through the years under of Art Browse offenses. How many times are Art Browse quarterbacks throwing to guys who are wide open, and particularly in those early years, are just throwing a lot of bubble screens? And like, yeah, he has the arm strength to get the ball out in those bubble screens, but like that definitely bumps up your accuracy numbers. Whereas Cam Newton's offense, one, playing against better defenses, that's a fact. And two, he's playing in a Gus Malzahn offense that really isn't built to throw the ball. It's built to run a triple option out of a spread. Or at the time it was. See, I'm going to push back against this, he's playing against better defenses, that's a fact argument. Because I think if you just made the statement, Cam Newton faced more elite defensive talent than Robert Griffin did, I would have to agree with you. However, when I look at the fact that almost every time a good Big 12 offense goes and faces an SEC defense, they still rack up 45, 50 points. I don't mm-hmm. think this, well, they're facing better defenses arguments holds water. And I think Oklahoma proved it again when they uh, put up 40-plus on Georgia in the playoff this last year. I, I think that's, that's a weak argument. That's, uh, that's I would say fair to an extent, but I also think that when I'm talking about the elite offenses of that year, I'm thinking about the 2011 LSU and the 2011 Alabama defenses. I'm not saying top to bottom, right? I'm not saying top to bottom, and if you'll give me about five seconds, let me hunt down the points per drive from that year, and uh, we'll look it up, because I want to see, because now that I'm thinking about it, now I want to look. Yep, I got it. So, looking at the advanced statistics as far as the defenses they played against, defending Cam Newton's defenses are better. You have, in 2011 for Robert Griffin, he played against the number 21 defense, the number 27 defense, the number 9 defense, and the number 7 defense. Okay? Cam Newton played against the number 14 defense, the number 24 defense, the number three defense, as well as the number 32 defense and the number 10 defense. There's just more teams there in the top 30 to 35 of college football that Cam Newton played against than RG3. The defenses, not to say that there weren't good defenses that Robert played against, I'm just saying there's more of them, and to an extent, when you are able to, when you are playing more of them consistently, it is more difficult. So that's my argument for why Cam Newton played against better defenses. And also played against more defensive talent. So how do you feel about this statement? I got a tweet. I think he tagged you in it as well from our friend Aaron Harder, good mutual friend of ours. And uh, I've got it pulled up here, and here's what he said. He said, Cam wouldn't have been as successful at Baylor while RG3 would have excelled at Auburn. RG3's throwing ability opens up playbooks more than Cam. Cam at Baylor is a decent career. RG3 at Auburn is potentially a two-time Heisman winner and a national champ. Now, I know that's a that hypotheticals is not a good way to make an argument, but but that is essentially kind of what I was saying is I think you have to consider RG3 the superior thrower 
the, the superior passer of the football from an accuracy standpoint. And to me, I, I, how do you feel about that statement? I, I can see the argument. I actually think that RG3's skill set and, and Gus Malzahn's offense probably makes a lot of sense. Uh, if he could, if he stays healthy, right? That's the problem because if you're running Robert a lot, that you have that concern. Um, so I do think he could have actually been really successful with Gus Malzahn. I push back on the fact that Cam Newton somehow wouldn't have succeeded in an Art Briles offense, um, mostly because of the fact that like, is there is there a quarterback that Art Briles has ever coached that hasn't been successful? That's so true. like, w- would Art Browse have not tailored that offense to fit his skill set? I don't believe. So. I believe that that team's he's still elite. Um, he's still a top five pick probably in the NFL draft. I think he's. Uh, I think he is still, and a very very good throw of the football. What I actually said about Cam Newton when he was in college was he was uh, he was like Vince Young, but a way better thrower and maybe not quite as elusive. It's a way better thrower than Vince Young. I'm sorry, Scotty. He is. We both rated uh, Vince Young above him. I know. I, I, I just because of Vince's ability to take over a game. I think I still think Cam's a better thrower. Sorry, I'm just gonna say it. I believe it. <laughs> but I, I, I see the argument. I'm just not sure. I 100. Uh, I 100 buy it. And it also, like you said, hypotheticals are tough. I guess what I'm at. If you had like, if you had one guy, okay, mm-hmm. you have you can have one or the other for a game. Like you okay. have to win this game. Um, mm-hmm. s- put the same offensive talent around them, put the same defense on the other side of the ball. Who are you going to take? Are you really going to take Cam Newton over RG3? Man, Baylor's going to hate me for this. But yeah, like I'm going to ride for my argument. But because above all else, Scotty, you know me. and that You know once I've made a, once it, once I've made a take, I'm going to ride for it. Yeah, so I'll, yeah, I'll continue to take Cam Newton over, over RG3 for one game, mostly because I think that I think that, like, if you take throw out the offensive systems, throw out like, throw out any of that. I think in the end, Cam's going to be able to win you a football game in ways that RG three won't, because he's going to because the one thing that that Cam's ability to do is Cam's going to be able to at least put down his head and just get you three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, and he's going to bowl somebody over and at least get you four yards of carry for the entire game and isn't going to break. Well, and I, I would make the argument right back that RG three is going to win you a football game by not turning the ball over by finding more tight windows downfield, making better throws downfield, making better decisions. And frankly, and this is again where we're arguing hypotheticals, which can be stupid, but if you're facing a defense that has um, Aaron Donald at defensive tackle, I'm sorry, Cam Mm -hmm. Newton can't put his head down and get three yards. Uh, What RG3 can do is get to an edge and get you six, seven, eight consistently. Is that... Difficult to do over and over and over, yes. But five times a game, get him on a rollout, play action rollout. Get you put your head down, get 15, 20 yards, potential to break off one of those 60, 70 yard runs. Man, I, Cam doesn't do that. So, and here's here's what I would say in response to that is like you say like oh Cam Newton turns the ball over like this insane amount more apparently, and I, I, show me where that is. He threw one more pick in that season. And I understand that was on less attempts, but like, dude doesn't turn the ball over that much. Like he's not, he was not turnover prone in college. Well, and that's where I'll admit I'm, I'm a little, I'm a, my opinion is a little bit skewed because I am taking into account 
subconsciously even their NFL careers. I mean, and the fact that Cam Newton has has thrown some notoriously bad picks in the NFL. So I'll concede that to you. He did not throw the ball away uh, that often at Auburn, but RG3 still more accurate in college, still did it over three different seasons where he did not turn the ball over often Mm -hmm. and still threw less picks (laughs) on more attempts. Yeah, and as far as if we're going to go into pro careers, one of them is uh, still a starting quarterback in the NFL, and the other one is backing up Joe Flacco. Absolutely. So. No, and, and, and again, I'm not, you know, we, we, we very intentionally said this did not take into account NFL careers, so I'll give you that. But I just, I, I think RG3, and a lot of it comes down to style, right? And RG3, you're going to get a little more flash, a little more pop, and a little more better decision-making. Cam Newton, you're going to get a little more putting your head down, a uh, little more consistency on those runs, getting four or five yards of carry, and you're going to get a better, quote-unquote, a better deep ball because he's got a stronger arm, but I'll take RG3's deep ball over almost anybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm not certain that Cam Newton throws a better deep ball, but does he have maybe the ability to fit the ball into a tighter space than RG3 when he hits that spot right? Probably because he does have a stronger arm, but I'm not going to deny RG3's touch on a deep ball. You'll never hear me do that. However... While we're talking about it, one has a national championship, one doesn't. And I said I wouldn't go there, but I'm going to go there so I can make my point. And well, and that's where, but that's where you have to go back to what was there. And that's again, right. but that's again why I made the career argument for RG3 is RG3 resurrected a Baylor program, taking them from four wins his freshman year to 10 by the time he walked out the door. If he doesn't do that, I don't think we get those two Big 12 championships just two years later. My opinion, I'm allowed to be wrong, but I, I, I give. And it's, again, back to what Aaron said. You put RG3 on that Auburn team, it's probably a similar result. There's no knowing, but it's probably a similar result. So while Cam Newton, while while RG3 was resurrecting a Baylor program, Cam Newton made Gene Chizik a good coach for a season. (laughs) The man was fired two years later and then went to North Carolina where he said after Baylor ran the Wild Bear for an entire game, for an entire half against Texas, well, I didn't know they would run that. And then we ran all over them in a bowl game, and then he got fired again. So, how, so like, Cam Newton made Gene Chizik good. RG3 resurrected Baylor. Well, that's a fantastic point. That's a fantastic point, my man. And I'm going to have to let you go. But I, uh, I think I'll end by saying that we did take a Twitter poll. And I'm going to pull up the results of said Twitter poll. And this result, these results are biased. They do not, res- I was, they I was do not gonna represent an accurate sample of the United States of America. I was going to say, before I read said results, uh, this was from the Please Bear With Me page, so it is probably vast majority Baylor fans. 74% said RG3, 26% said Cam Newton. I have a feeling if you ran it nationwide, it'd be pretty close to 50-50 with a slight bias towards the SEC quarterback, but it's been a fun debate, sir. Good stuff, my man. How great is it that we have college football back in our lives again? If you were at McLean Stadium on Saturday evening, you know what I'm talking about. The atmosphere, the lights, the sounds, and the victorious fireworks that went off at the conclusion of the game, where Baylor stood victorious 55-27 over Abilene Christian. 
Now, there are lots of things to take away from this game with how Baylor can improve going forward, and they're going to have to. They can't give up 466 total yards of offense. They'll need to land on a quarterback that can lead them consistently for the entire game, and they can't give up the big plays on defense. But for now, at this moment in time, I encourage everybody to put the negativity aside and enjoy this win, this moment. Because you know what didn't happen in 2017? Winning. Baylor, of course, only won one game last year. And that season included a loss to Liberty, an FCS team where we gave up 585 total yards of offense to the Flames and 48 points at home. And this past weekend, the season opener of 2018, four other FCS opponents walked in and beat FBS teams, including Nichols, who won 26-23 over Kansas. Even South Dakota put a scare into Kansas State as they were up 12 in the fourth quarter before the Wildcats rallied. And Appalachian State nearly walked into Happy Valley and turned it very, very sad before losing in, in overtime. Baylor dominated ACU on every aspect for the entire game. So appreciate this win. Enjoy this win. Baylor has two competent QBs to choose from. They have a unique wide receiving core of weapons. And they had 200-yard rushers in Saturday's game when they didn't have a single 100-yard rusher all last season. And as we move on, we'll have to make improvements. And that will have to come against the UTSA Roadrunners in San Antonio next week. But for now, enjoy the win and sick and bears. That's all the time I've got for today's show. In fact, I went over time. So thank you so much for listening this week. I really, really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Make sure you're following on Twitter at bear underscore podcast. Make sure you've liked us on Facebook at please bear with me. Subscribe, share with your friends, and we'll talk to you again next week after the Bears beat the Roadrunners of UTSA. For Bears Illustrated, my name is Scotty Swingler. Sick'em Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast. Go check them out, Iron Kids, on SoundCloud. I've been Scotty Swingler, and this is Please Bear With Me. Please Bear With Me.